for this season. Let's pray and we'll dig into the Word. Heavenly Father, we ask now as we go to your Word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. I thank you for everyone who's here, none by chance, all by divine appointment. Lord, we ask that your Holy Spirit would speak. We pray none of us and all of you. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the greatest gift ever given, that you sent your Son to earth to come and live a sinless holy life and to suffer and die in our place that we might be redeemed and forgiven, that we might have the promise of heaven. So Lord, be our teacher this morning. Give us ears to hear what you would say to us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So on Thursday night, we looked at the gospel of Luke. And in Luke, it's really written more to the Gentiles. Well, Matthew is the gospel written for all men. But again, it specifically focuses on the Jews. And so what we see a lot in Matthew is fulfilled prophecy. See, the Old Testament, there's over 200 prophecies about the coming Messiah. Jesus fulfilled them all. And we see in Matthew the the references to those verses where it was fulfilled. In this book that builds a bridge between the Old and New Testament from the Old Covenant. See, in the Old Covenant, it was feasts and laws and sacrifices. And all those things were wonderful, and God put them in place, but they were all pointing to Jesus. And that's why we don't do that anymore, because when Jesus came, he fulfilled the Old Covenant. He didn't come to do away with it, to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. So the focus of Matthew is Jesus is the Messiah. So if you ever have to think about you know, each book of the Bible, what is the, what is the focus of Matthew? It's Jesus is the Messiah. Like Hebrews, Jesus is better. Matthew, Jesus is the Messiah. The book started off with a genealogy, and people often wonder, why do they put genealogies in the Bible? And I taught Matthew chapter 1 the first Sunday that this church started, and I taught a genealogy, and people were like, that's a great way to start a church, right? You got all these people coming to visit this new church, and you teach a genealogy. But it's in the Bible for a reason, and the reason it starts off with a genealogy is to connect Jesus to Abraham, to connect Jesus to David, to connect Jesus to all these who had gone before him. And it was always said of Abraham, it was through the line of Abraham, and then later through the line of Jacob, that the Messiah would come. And so for the Jewish reader to open up Matthew and to see the genealogy that connected Jesus all the way back to Adam and then to Abraham and then to to Jacob, and then to King David, it it would speak to their hearts that this is the one we've been waiting for. He is the Messiah that, again, had been promised from the foundation of the world. Again, genealogy proved he's the son of Abraham, he's of the tribe of Judah, he's heir of the throne of David, and all necessary for the Messiah. See, the Messiah had to be from Abraham, had to be a descendant of Abraham. The Messiah had to be of not only of Abraham, but of the tribe of Judah. There were 12 tribes would come from the tribe of Judah, and he had to be an heir to the throne of David. So the genealogy of Jesus also pointed out the incredible grace of our Savior, as it includes in the genealogy of Jesus, idolaters, adulterers, prostitutes, and murderers. So people that were related, that came, Jesus came through their line. Rahab was a prostitute and many others like that. Now, why would the Lord include people like that? Because it shows us that if God can use people like them, then God can use people like us. Amen? Because we're all sinners and, for, and praise God that by his grace, he can use people like us. 
And I'm so thankful. He uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Jesus came not only for the righteous, but to redeem sinners. The choices of whom he would be related to and be in his lineage should encourage us all that no matter what failures are in our past, God can still use us for his glory if he will let him. I don't know what your past is like, those of you who are here this morning. We may have some visitors. And I want you to know that the enemy will lie to you and say because of what you've done in your past that God can't use you. Or maybe that something you've done in your past means that God doesn't love you. Let me just wipe all that out right now. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent not his son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Guys, our God is a God of love and grace and mercy. And where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And you can't be so sinful that you cannot be forgiven. Amen? Amen. Now we must ask for forgiveness. But the enemy will lie to us and whisper in our ear and say, you know, you've blown it. You know, if the pastor knew what kind of person you were, he wouldn't even talk to you. You know, that's such a lie of the devil. Can I get an amen to that? We're all sinners in need of a savior. So in addition to being a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Judah and the throne of David, he was also born of the seed of a woman, another fulfilled prophecy. He was also born of a virgin. That wipes out everybody else on the planet. Can I get an amen to that? See, if you're getting qualifications, well, he's got to be born in Bethlehem. Well, there's other people born in Bethlehem. Well, he's got to be of the tribe of Judah. There's other people in the tribe of Judah. He's got to be born of Abraham. Well, he's got to the people uh, of the throne, thrown to the heir of David. Okay, there's other people. Born of a virgin, that wipes out everybody. <laughs> Amen? Jesus alone. Muhammad was not born of a virgin. Joseph Smith was not born of a virgin. Amen? The Pope was not born of a virgin. Whoever you're putting your faith in other than Jesus Christ does not qualify to be the Messiah. Amen? And most of all, none of them rose from the dead. Amen. We serve a risen and living Savior who has triumphed over sin and death. Amen? We must be reminded of that. We're going to see in this morning's text that he was born in Bethlehem. He was called out of Egypt. Uh, he was reaping, weeping in Ramah, it talks about in Jeremiah, and he was called a Nazarene. And since Christ was to be born in Bethlehem, why would there be weeping in Ramah? And if he was called a Nazarite, yet born in Bethlehem, and then called out of Egypt, how is that all possible? See, God is sovereign. God knows what he's doing, and he knew what was going to happen before he created the heavens and the earth. The Bible says that Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. And so it's so important for us to grasp and understand when we read the Bible that God already knows, knew the beginning from the end before it even started. And that gives us a headache because we're finite men and women trying to understand an infinite God. While we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loves us. He's a gracious God. But we're going to see in this morning's text that he's the fulfillment of prophecy. See, prophetic truth and fulfilled prophecy are meant to open the eyes of the spiritually blind to soften hardened hearts. Often people will say to me, this is typical as, as Christians, you'll hear it when you're a pastor, you hear it more. They find out you're a pastor, like you believe in that book written by a bunch of men? You, read, you believe in that book? I don't believe in that. I believe in science. What is science based on? Books written by a bunch of men. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> that don't know the Lord who keep changing their mind. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? And guys, we don't have to cower when people challenge the Bible. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it. You've heard it a thousand times, so one more won't hurt you. It's 66 books written by 40 authors on three continents and three languages over 1,500 years with one central theme and no contradictions. That's only possible because God wrote it. Amen? And guess what? 
God wrote this book. And he protected this book. And he gives us the Holy Spirit so we can understand this book. And all the prophecy that is seen there is to open the eyes of people who have hardened hearts towards the Lord. I love to always ask them when they say, well, it's just a book. I said, let me ask you a question. If men wrote a book, could there be hundreds of prophecies that were all fulfilled by a man some 2,000 years later? Is that possible if it was written by men? No. God wrote it. Amen? And so I want you to know, we should understand what the Word of God says. We should understand that Jesus is God and the fulfillment of prophecy. We're going to see in this morning's text, we all respond to the Lord in one way or another. What have you done with God's Son? That's the title of the message. I've used that in a few other chapters in the past. But what have you done with God's Son? Because see, when we stand before, by the way, the results are in, one out of every one person dies. Amen? And you will stand before Almighty God one day. And nobody will stand with you or for you other than the Lord if you know him. And the only thing that will matter, it won't matter how much money you gave to charity, how hard you worked, all those things are good. But when it comes to judgment day, when we stand before the creator of the universe, the only thing that will matter is what have you done with God's son? It's not good enough to know about Jesus. It's not good enough to believe that Jesus exists. It's not good enough to go to church. It's not good enough to have read read through your Bible. All those things are wonderful. Those can be fruits of salvation, but none of those is the source of salvation. Either you're married to Jesus or you're not. Either you've been born again or you haven't been. Either the Holy Spirit has rules and reigns in your life. Either the Holy Spirit's on the throne of your life or you're on the throne of your life. So it's One way God said to get to heaven and Jesus is the only way. And the only thing that really will matter on judgment day is what have you done with God's son? And the prophecy in Matthew and in the Bible is to open our eyes to who Jesus is and help us to understand that he is unique and that he is the son of God. How do people respond to the gospel? Some in anger and outrage. I had one of my best friends in high school Every time I talked to him about the Lord, I'm not exaggerating. This is what he would do. I cover his ears and start yelling. Bro, I don't want to hear. I don't want to. Don't talk to me. Don't talk to me. Don't talk to me about it. I go, bro, relax already, man. It's okay. But what's amazing is people don't react to that when you want to talk to him about Muhammad. People don't react that way when you talk about the new age movement or anything else. You know why people get like, because the word of God is convicting. The cross of Christ is a stone of offense. People don't sue and spend millions of dollars to get a Buddha removed from a hillside. But if there's a cross there, people are going to be outraged. I've shared with you when my son passed away three and a half months ago, that my other two boys and my daughter made a cross and they wrote his name on it, painted it, and put it up on the hill behind our house. And it wasn't there four days before someone took it down. Why? Because the cross of Christ. We put a boot up there, probably be there until the Lord comes back. Amen? <laughs> Nobody cares. But because the cross offends, because the cross convicts us of our sin, People don't like it. So how do we respond? Some people respond in anger and outrage. Some with indifference. I think this is actually the the person furthest away from salvation. The people, they get angry, and there's conviction. They don't like it. They don't want to hear it. I'm like, you know, you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that barks the loudest is the one you hit. Amen? And so the reality is, when you speak the truth and somebody gets all fired up, I'm like, oh, conviction. That person's close. I got to keep preaching to that person. Amen? It's the person who's indifferent, who's like, yeah, whatever. That's good for you. 
That's fine. Those are the people that tend to be the furthest away from the Lord. We need to keep preaching to them as well. We need to share Jesus with them as well. So some people respond with anger. Some people respond with outrage. Some people are ambivalent, you know, and indifferent. Neither a deep hatred or a passionate love for the Lord and His work of redemption. And then there's some that respond with a true heart. And they surrender their life to the Lord. And they come seeking the Lord. And they'll, they'll go whatever, what, take whatever measure they need to, to find Him and to know Him and to know Him better. So grab your outline. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, Matthew 2. What have you done with God's Son? How have you responded to the truth of who Jesus is? We're going to have four examples here. Number one, like, how have you responded? Like the religious leaders of the day with hearts of indifference? So religious leaders of the day had religion but did not have a relationship with the Lord. And I think this is so tragic. They grow up thinking they have a relationship with God because of all the good works they do, or because they wear the black robes, or because they fulfill a bunch of religious rituals. And they think because of that, that somehow they, they, they tend to be arrogant and self-righteous and think that they know better than others. Yet when Jesus is six miles away from them being born, they're indifferent. They're ambivalent. They don't reach out. They don't recognize their desperate need for a Savior So like the religious leaders with hearts of indifference, or like the wise men with hearts of surrender and worship, the religious leaders who taught the Old Testament about the coming Messiah would not travel six miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, but these wise men travel a great distance from the Middle Middle East, probably spent months traveling, coming to look the Lord, or longer And yet they would not give up and they continue to seek him until they found him. By the way, God's not hiding from you. Amen? I told you they used to have these stickers. I found Jesus. I didn't know he was lost. Amen? I'm lost. Amen? He stands right in front of us. He desires to have a relationship with you. And if you seek him, you will find him. I love the wise men. Like King Herod, with a heart of anger, bitterness, and cruelty refusing to give up the throne to the rightful king. We're going to find out King Herod. King Herod was an angry, bitter man who had power, who slaughtered people uh, that came anywhere near to offending him in any way. He killed his wife and his own children because he was afraid that they would uh, you know, come against him somehow. So this is an angry, evil, bitter man who wanted the throne and didn't want anybody else to get anywhere near it. And because of that, when he gets news of Jesus being born, of the Messiah being born, he's going to kill all the babies under the age of two because he's, he's fearful of a baby because he does not want to give up the throne of his own life. And that's exactly the throne of, of, of Jerusalem at the time. But the whole point is that people react that way when you talk about the Lord because they don't want to give up the throne. Here's why most people believe in evolution, even if they don't think that this is why, but I'll tell you it is why. They believe in evolution because they don't want to have to believe in a creator because if they believe in a creator, then they're accountable to the creator. So they will believe in evolution simply so they can then live whatever life they want to and feel like there's no conviction. But I want to tell you this, even the hardest heart is convicted from time to time. And we need to pray that God will open their eyes to the truth of who who Jesus is. And do not be King Herod to where you want to be on the throne. Because guess what? One out of every one person dies. And when you stand before Almighty God on Judgment Day, the one who's on the throne of your life is going to pay for your sins. 
If you're on the throne, you get to pay for him. Eternity in hell separated from Almighty God. I was invited for a Christmas service. He's talking about hell. Guess what? <laughs> Hell's real, and I want any of you to go there. Amen? Amen? Lord desires that none should perish, no, not one. And if you respond in anger and bitterness, but if, if, if you're on the throne, then you get to be accountable for your sin. But if Jesus is on the throne, he paid for your sin. And he redeemed you. And he forgave you. And he adopted you. And he wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. And you'll get to spend eternity in his presence. And man, I'm looking forward to that hug from Jesus in heaven. Can I get an amen to that? So where we spend eternity... It's all based on what have we done with God's son. And then finally, like Joseph, you know, I don't think Joseph gets enough credit. Joseph, Jesus' stepdad. Can I get an amen? And Joseph, God bless that brother. God bless that brother. Can you imagine you're engaged and you're told that your, your fiance is pregnant? And in those days especially, they were never alone together. And uh, in those days, if that happened, you could have your fiance, your betrothed wife, put to death out her stone to death. And what did he do instead? He was faithful. He stood by her. And you know what? And he's going to be given instructions in this morning's text that don't make a whole lot of sense. Get up and move to here. Get up and move to here. Get up and do this. And he's just going to obey God. God bless Joseph. Can I get an amen to that? Praise God for him. With a heart of completely submitted to the Lord and a heart to do his will. He's totally submitted to the Lord. Whatever the Lord, by the way, we all need to have that heart. My life and your life, if you are a born-again believer, does not belong to you. It belongs to him. Amen? Which means he can do in your life whatever he wants to. And we should say, Lord, I surrender my... If you want me to move, if you want me to do this, if this is the ministry you have for me, Lord, if you want to give someone a hug, use my arms. If you want to speak into somebody's life, use my lips. Lord, I live and move and breathe to bring glory and honor to your name. Amen? And as we do that, we'll be wonderful parents and we'll have wonderful marriages and we'll be able to minister to our kids and we'll be the best workers in the building at work. But guys, our lives don't belong to us, they belong to him. You know what that means? Our kids don't belong to us, they belong to him. Our finances don't belong to us, they belong to him. And you know us at Calvary Chapel, we don't even pass an offering and we don't, you know, God doesn't need your money, he just wants your heart. Can I get an amen to that? Where God guides, God provides, he always has, he always will. So let's begin there looking at what have you done with God's son? We'll start off with the religious leaders who had hearts of indifference. Verse 1 there of chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, this is why you don't see this chapter very often on a Christmas service, because there you go. Don't we get a lot more, don't we get a lot more uh, detail from the other gospels we do? But Matthew's whole focus is not the details of how Jesus was born, but the details surrounding the fact that he's the Messiah they've been waiting for. Because he's writing to a Jewish audience. So Jesus is born in Bethlehem. He gives very little detail about the birth of Jesus. His focus is on where he was born. Why? Because it fulfilled prophecy that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And also that he was the king received by the world. Bethlehem in Micah 5.2 prophesies that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. So Micah 5.2 tells us where the Messiah will be born. Bethlehem, the name means it's, it is the city of David. It's a humble city, six miles south of Jerusalem. 
Bethlehem means house of bread, and Jesus is the bread of life. It says in John 6, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. See, Jesus is the one that if we feed on him in a sense, if we receive Jesus as our Savior, we will have life. Before you came to know the Lord, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. Your life doesn't make sense. You're trying to fill it with everything else that the world has to offer, and your flesh will never be satisfied. And then when you give your life to Jesus Christ, you become what he created you to be before the foundation of the world. Can I get an amen? Amen. You become the person he created you to be as his Holy Spirit comes inside of you. You're no longer spiritually dead. You're walking in newness of life. You're alive in Christ. I mentioned this on Thursday. Bethlehem is mentioned in Genesis 35. Rachel, the wife of Jacob, whose name became Israel, died giving birth on the outskirts of Bethlehem. And it was her son, the the 12th of the 12 tribes of Israel, Benjamin. She wanted to name him uh, Ben-Oni, which means son of my sorrow. And Jacob called him Ben-Hamin or Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. Now you think it's by chance that here on the outskirts of Bethlehem, where the Messiah would be born, Benjamin, son of my sorrow. The Bible says of Jesus that he is acquainted with our sorrows and our grief. I want to encourage you, if you're going through grieving times, you need to know that we join in the fellowship of his suffering, and he is acquainted with your suffering. Amen? And when your heart breaks, his heart breaks with you. But also, Benjamin means son of my right hand. And who's seated at the right hand of the Father? Jesus is. And so, We see these Old Testament pictures all the way back in Genesis, all pointing to Jesus. It all points to Jesus. I've yet to have anybody stump me, but you can feel free if you want to. Find an Old Testament chapter, anywhere in the Old Testament, I'll show you Jesus. He's in there. Amen? History is his story. It all points to the Lord. Jesus' birth created a stir from the very moment he was born. He had not spoken a word, performed a miracle, or proclaimed a single doctrine. Yet even as a humble baby, he was the Messiah, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, God in human flesh. And he, and he had a profound impact on the world. What's the date today? December 25th, 2021. 2021 years since what? Since the birth of Jesus. A.D. Anno Domini means in the year of our Lord. So the people that deny the existence of Jesus, uh, they confirm it every time they write a check. December 26, 2021, in the year of our Lord. Can I get an amen to that? Notice it says there, he was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. He wasn't Jewish, but he was the king of the Jews, and he was a descendant of Esau, now, Jacob and Esau were brothers, as we know, and Esau was the son of the flesh, and Jacob was the son chosen by God through whom the 12 tribes of Israel came. His name became Israel. Well, the e- Esau, they became the Edomites, and they were separated from, uh, they, they were a people of the flesh. Remember, he sold his birthright for a bowl of soup, okay? He sold his birthright. He sold the fact that uh, the double portion of blessing that would come from his father, the blessing that would come from God, and he sold all of it for a bowl of soup. That's a man driven by his flesh. Well, Herod was such a man. 
His bloody reign, his high taxes, his love of Roman customs alienated him from the Jews, but he tried to make them happy with great building programs. Matter of fact, including the remodeling of the temple, there's a term, Herod's Temple. You've probably heard that. And he spent a great deal of time and money rebuilding the temple to win the hearts of the Jews, but at the same time, he could care less about them. He saw them as subjects, and anybody that he saw as a threat to his throne, he had put to death. He was skilled at war, he was wise, but he was also very suspicious and cruel. He had no sooner come to the throne than he began to, by annihilating the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the supreme court of the Jews. The Sanhedrin were uh, 50 priests who were put in positions of great authority. He became king and he wiped them all out immediately, annihilated all these, these priests Later, he slaughtered 300 court officers for no reason at all. He murdered his wife, uh, as I mentioned, and, and, and hit three of his sons because he became suspicious of them. The emperor Augustus reportedly said it was better to be Herod's pig than his son. You got a safer chance of surviving if you're his pig than if you're related to him. Herod was an angry, volatile, increasingly paranoid king of the Jews at the time of Jesus' birth. You know, when I see people that are paranoid and angry and fearful and worried and anxious, I wonder where they're at with Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? You know, as believers, we shouldn't shouldn't be all uptight. We read the end of the book, God wins. Can I get an amen? amen? We know what's coming. We know that heaven is better. What in the world can the world do to us? You can't threaten us with heaven. Amen? Now, again, we use wisdom with our health, and I get it, and people, there's still people staying home from COVID, and I totally get it, and God bless you guys, and we love you, and you do what the Lord convicts you to do. But as believers, we should not walk around afraid of any virus or anything else, because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Amen. Can't threaten me with heaven, amen? Heaven's better. And you got a king, he's just all uptight all the time. Oh, the guy's going to come try to take my throne. Oh, and he's just this uptight guy who's angry and slaughtering everybody that gets in his way. We live in a world right now that people are mad at me because I'm not, about, I'm not afraid. Oh, COVID. Oh, are you, what are you going to do? Nothing. <laughs> I'm good. Can I get an amen to that? I'm not afraid. We don't walk in fear. We walk by faith. Amen. And, and just the, and you know what though? If you don't know the Lord, you should be afraid. If I didn't know the Lord, I'd have on fifty-seven masks, living in a dungeon somewhere. Why? Because if you don't know what's going to happen when you die, you fear death. But we don't have to fear death because we serve the risen and living Savior who has triumphed over sin and death. And Herod's petrified. Ah! What? What? What, what happened? What? Are, kill all those people. Oh, there might be somebody, kill all of them. Kill the Sanhedrin. Well, he's going to get some news in this chapter he's not going to like. The wise men are going to come and say, hey, we came to worship the king of the Jews. I'm right here. I'm the king. No, 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 not so much, bro. You might think you are. Amen. You might think you're the king. You might think you're on the throne. But guess what? You're not. Two undeniable facts. There is a God and you're not him. Amen. So Herod is uptight. Oh, man. Ah. Now watch what happens. I love this. Wise men came from the east. From the east came to Jerusalem. Now, wise men, before we get the word magi, 
And these were not kings. People talk about th- these three kings, but they're magi. They're you know, philosophers, astronomers, or priests. They interpreted dreams. They studied the stars. Uh, Daniel, uh, hundreds of years earlier, uh, could be numbered among them. From the east, from Persia or Arabia, possibly Jews who were exiled from Judah and Israel centuries earlier. And they come to Jerusalem guided by a star in the sky. So there's a star that appeared in the sky that was prophesied would take place when the Messiah was born. They knew of the prophecy, and so they were always looking for the star. By the way, that's a good, that's a good word for all of us. We should all be looking up all the time. Can I get an amen? You remember when they traveled through the wilderness, the first thing they did every morning, they would come out of their tent because there was a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. It was a cloud by day and a fire by night. And when the pillar moved, they knew they needed to move. It was a presence of God that was upon the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle that they built and rebuilt everywhere they went as they wandered in the wilderness. So the first thing they do when they got up in the morning is look up. And if the pillar moved, pack your stuff, we're moving. Guys, we got to wake up every morning and look up. Lord, what do you want me to do today? How do you want to use me today? Where do you want me to go today? Can I get an amen to that? Let's begin our day looking up and then follow as the Lord leads. They came to Jerusalem. They traveled a great distance. They trusted that the star would lead them to the prophesied king. Even though they were an incredible distance away, they knew they would find the Lord because they came seeking. Verse 2, so they go to King Herod and they say, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? Uh Uh-oh. Even in those days, the Jews were looked down upon. They were carried away captive in the past. They were subject to Roman government. And someone's been born king of the Jews. It was a strange thing to say that a baby was born to be king. Because see, babies were never born kings except for Jesus. They were born in the line to become king. They were typically princes, and they could become king, and sometimes they became kings at young ages because their dads were, were murdered and assassinated or died in some other way. But no one was ever born king except the king of kings. And he said, I've come to, to find the king, the one who's been born king of the Jews. Usually, again, there was a long time. Jesus didn't become the king later. He's been the king. He's always been the king. Can I get an amen to that? He was a king of kings and the Lord of lords before he ever, ever came to earth. Then notice what it says. Where's the, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? For we've seen this star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, I can, you know, and again, I, I love to kind of put myself in the, the place of everybody in the, the event that's taking place. And I just imagine Herod. You sit, I just imagine him being a big dude sitting on his throne, and these wise men come in, and they say, we're looking for the king of the Jews, and we saw a star in the sky, and we came to worship him, not you, him. And I could just see the, the, the bane popping in Herod's neck right about there. <laughs> and, and I think he's going he's gonna to calm himself down and say, so where, where is this king? Well, can, can, hey, can, yeah, why don't you go find him and come back and tell me where he is so I can come worship him too? He wants to come with an axe. He wants to come and assassinate. A lot of people say they want to worship the Lord, but they don't want to worship the Lord. They want to keep themselves on the throne. They want to quiet us about the Lord. That's why they took Bible, the Bible out of schools. How's that working out, by the way? They took prayer out of schools. How's that working out? But that's why we go to Christian schools when we can. Can I get an amen? Praise God for this school. By the way, they can try to silence the world, but they can't silence us. 
They can take the word of God. They can't take the word of God out of my mouth or yours. They can't take the word of God out of what we, how we live and move and breathe. Amen. They can't. They can't. They can't keep us quiet. The only way they keep you quiet is if you fear men more than you fear God. We don't fear men. We fear God. Can I get an amen to that? So Herod is saying, "Worship him." Whoa! You don't worship anybody but me. I'm the king. Where's this king? His head's already. I could just envision him already starting to pop a gasket. Notice it's his star. We saw, we've seen his star. There's a star that existed only for the Lord. By the way, he, he created all the stars. Can I get an amen to that? But there was a unique star that pointed them to him, that moved and settled over Christ. It fulfills Numbers 24, 17. A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It's pointing to Jesus, who is, that's who Jesus is, similar to the Shekinah glory that guided Israel in the days of Moses. Again, the glory always rested above the Holy of Holies where God existed, so too. It's significant that God met them in their own medium. He guided astronomers by a star. God will meet you right where you are. God will reveal himself to you in a way that you can understand. He's a gracious God, a loving God, and a merciful God, and he cares for you. Our God is not hiding he reveals himself in all of creation, whether we look at the expanse of the universe or the tiniest of atoms. Whether you look through a telescope or a microscope, it ought to prove to you that God exists. Can I get an amen to that? When you look at the, the complexity of an atom and how they're all put together, or you look out into the expanse of the stars and know that the Bible says he holds the, the universe in the span of his hand. And they keep finding out that the universe is greater and greater in size, which just means that our God is greater and greater than we already know. Can I get an amen to that? So he's a great and an awesome God, and he's not hiding. No one will be able to stand before God on Judgment Day and claim ignorance because the Bible says the heavens declare his glory. I took an anatomy class in college. I'm so glad I did. And I remember, go, I remember being three or four days into that class thinking, how could anybody take this class and think this happened on accident? <laughs> Amen? The human body is so incredibly complex the fact that we live as long as we do blows me away. We got so much stuff on our body that could just mess it all up. Can I get an amen to that? And the older I get, the more I know that's true. Amen? <laughs> you know, you get up in the morning, amen, it's not quite the same. Things are breaking down, amen? That's why I'm glad I'm getting a heavenly body, man. I'm ready to get rid of this old battered thing that I've been dragging around for 58 years. <laughs> but I love that no matter what, God has revealed himself in creation. He's revealed himself from the tiniest of atoms to the greatest expanse of the stars, and he will meet you and speak to you in a way that you will understand. I can think of a few things more insulting to God than to look at the beauty and intricacy of his handiwork and all that he's created and continues to hold together and say that it happened by random chance. I'll be honest with you, it makes me angry. I think it's righteous anger. People are teaching our kids that they, they came from, the, it went from the goo to the zoo to you. There was some random accident. Uh, something came out of nothing and it exploded and then it became you. What a bunch of nonsense. Amen? It's just absolute nonsense to believe that. It takes way more, it takes way more faith to believe that than to believe that. By the way, you never look at a watch and think it happened by random chance. Did, oh, did a, did, a, did a spring factory blow up and this watch popped out? No one ever says that ever. 
When I was a youth pastor, I used to give that analogy that if we, were, we, we were out in the desert, and I said, what if we walked it through the Mojave Desert and we found a, a watch in the sand where were you in the middle of nowhere? What would you think? Where would you, how would you think it got there? And people go, oh, maybe it fell out of a plane or, or maybe somebody was walking and it fell off their wrist or maybe that I said, and I'd ask him for 10 minutes and he'd give me every, and I'd say, no other, other ways. No. Oh, so you don't think an explosion happened and the watches popped out. Well, guess what? You're taught that every day with evolution. Amen. Law of biogenesis means that nothing from non, nothing can come. No, no life comes from non-living matter. It can't happen. It's a law. It can't happen. Can I get amen to that? And the law of, second law of entropy, the law of the second law of thermodynamics, the law of entropy is that things break apart. If you take your car and park it out in a field and leave it there for 10 years, does it get better or worse? It's a rust bucket the next time you go out there. Things fall apart. Can I get an amen to that? See, God put it all together. And it's insulting to God to act like he had nothing to do with it when not only did he create it, but if he lets go for a nanosecond, it all falls apart. Amen? And we've got a king going, who's this king? Where's he at? I don't want to see him. We come to worship him. You need to worship me. Wise men discovered by faith that which was missed by Herod and the religious leaders. They came first to Jerusalem, assuming that the leaders of the Jews would be aware and excited about the birth of the Messiah. They were excited, like, oh, they, they're probably worshiping already. Oh, there's probably a worship service going on. We can go join it. Where is he? We want to join the worship service. They're not worshiping the Lord. And the wise men are blown away. You know, the wise men came to worship Jesus. They didn't want anything from him. Why did you come to Jesus? Why do you come to Jesus? You have people say to you, come to Jesus. He'll give you everything you ever wanted. He might might take some stuff. Can I get an amen to that? (laughs) Stuff you don't need. Stuff you made more important than him. And the reality is, and so what happens is that people come to Jesus, you'll never, you'll never hunger again, you'll never this, you'll never that, everything will be perfect, you'll be on the cruise ship to heaven. And give me a seed offering of $1,000 so God will bless you. And all this other nonsense that takes place. Come to Jesus because He and He alone has the gift of eternal life. Come to Jesus because He and He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. Come to Jesus because apart from him, there is no salvation, there's no hope, there's no peace, there's no joy, there's no true meaning of life. We don't come to Jesus to get stuff from him. We come to Jesus because of who he is. And that's exactly why the wise men came. They came bringing gifts to Jesus, not looking to take stuff from Jesus. And they came to him not because of what he had done, because he hadn't really done anything yet, he's a baby but because of who he is and what he was going to do. Can I get an amen to that? So we come to Jesus because of who he is. Verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Hope you're getting to know this guy a little bit. Herod was troubled. He was bummed. He was worried. He was concerned. He was freaking out. Same thing happens when we bring Jesus to people today. They see it as a threat. It bothers them. It makes them uncomfortable. When they get uncomfortable when I'm talking to them about the Lord, they get uncomfortable. I'm getting uncomfortable. That's a good thing. It's called conviction. Can I get an amen? The Holy Spirit's convicting you that you're a sinner like the rest of us. Amen? And that you need to be forgiven. Without without any conviction, there's not going to be conversion. It's good when people are uptight when you talk to them about the Lord. The uptight ones are closer to salvation than the indifferent ones. Amen? 
Herod, a cruel and vicious man who would destroy anyone who got in his way, and again, had killed his wife and his own sons because he suspected treason. Herod would do whatever it took to keep his position and his power, and the people that ruled over him knew it. These wise men came from a far distance. They didn't know Herod. They thought he was probably leading the worship service already. Oh, we want to come and join the worship service. And, and Herod instead is troubled. And it says, and all Jerusalem with him. You know why they're troubled? Because Herod's troubled. They're afraid of what's going to happen when Herod pops a cap and finds out someone else is being called the king of the Jews. They know what kind of a vicious man he is, and they know what might come next. By the way, we as Christians don't bow to tyranny because we're afraid more tyranny will come if we keep preaching Jesus. Let's preach Jesus till it all comes. Can I get an amen to that? And we get this fearful thing, well, well don't say that because someone's going to, and then we could get in trouble. Christians are being fed to lions and they kept going to church. Amen? I still catch heat to this day. You guys are having church still? You guys have church? That's a, that's a super spreader event. <laughs> I hope so. I hope we spread the Holy Spirit to as many people as we can. Can I get an amen to that? We need some super spreader events right about now. We need to be spreading Jesus as far as we can. Amen? Herod, a descendant of Esau, as I said, Jacob's twin, the son of the flesh. This is a picture of Esau and Jacob's struggle that began even before they were born. It's the spiritual versus the carnal. Jesus is a descendant of Jacob. Herod's a descendant of Esau. It's the spirit versus the flesh. The flesh hates the spirit. The flesh needs to die and allow the spirit to rule and reign. Can I get an amen to that? But the flesh doesn't like it when the spirit rises up because the flesh wants to be on the throne and it wants the spirit to go away. Here's that spiritual picture that we see right here. Jerusalem was troubled by wise men's words when they should have been rejoicing. They're worried because Herod's worried, because Herod's upset. Oh, Herod's upset. Uh-oh, well, that'll be quiet. Don't, go, don't, don't, don't make eye contact. Don't get anywhere near him. You could be in trouble. The people were more concerned with what kind of paranoid outbursts might come from Herod upon hearing about the rival king being born than they were worried about than they were concerned about the birth of the Savior. Again, there's pastors that were more worried about what the government was going to do than being faithful to do what God called them to do. Amen. They were just petrified. Oh, but if we have church, then oh, we're going to. Dude, if if you can shut your church down for two years, please resign and leave. Can I get an amen to that? If you will not minister to your people for two years, if you will not preach the word of God for two years because you're afraid of the tyranny of the government, you're in the wrong calling. Amen? I'm actually praying for some churches to close. We could use one of their buildings. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> Just go ahead and close then. If you're not going to preach the gospel, if you're not going to proclaim the truth of God's word, if you're going to preach anything else, then just close already. Can I get an amen to that? Let's bring someone in there who's going to preach the word of God and see people get saved. It's tragic. Why is there trouble? Because the testimony of the greatness of Jesus, even as a young child. His friends bring him presents and his enemies plot to kill him. He hasn't even spoken a word yet. His friends bring him presents and his enemies plot to kill him. And he hasn't even spoken a word. Herod was troubled because he did not want to give up the throne to the son of David, the rightful heir 
Jesus Christ. People today want to destroy the name of Jesus or at least deny him because they do not want to give up the throne of their own life. Here's another question. I asked you earlier, what have you done with Jesus? Let me ask you a question. Who's on the throne of your life? Who's ruling and reigning in your life? Is it you or is it the Lord? Choose today whom you will serve. Amen? Verse 4. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So here's what he does. He doesn't know what the word says. So he brings people in to know the word. And then he says to them, hey, so these wise dudes came by and they said there was a star in the sky and the king was born. So all you guys that know what the word says, where does it say he's going to be born? So he calls in the religious leaders to ask them, and then they quote to him. So they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, verse 6, land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So the chief priests, who would especially include those who had the office of high priest, including the Sadducees, who he had killed uh, the Sanhedrin before, the scribes were teachers of the law, experts in the Old Testament and oral traditions. And this is the first contact the religious leaders had with Jesus being asked about the Christ. Now, what's amazing is they know what the word says. They know where it says he is to be born, and yet they did not travel the six miles to find him. So, because remember in Bethlehem, you saw it on Thursday, all the word went out and everybody was told that the Messiah had been born and that these religious leaders were still so caught up in being religious that they missed out on a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They knew about him, but they didn't know him. They knew what it said he would do when he came, but when he came, they missed him. Guys, it's not enough to know about Jesus. We need to know him, amen? Amen. They understood the biblical information correctly, but failed to apply it to their own lives. This is one of the saddest pictures, and it's just so tragic that you can be that close, and yet so far, they knew the word of God, what it said. They quote the Messianic prophecy from Micah, written hundreds of years earlier, but they lacked any faith to act upon it. Wise men had traveled a great distance, traveled for weeks or months through the desert to see Jesus. The religious leaders, those called to teach the truth, who knew the truth, and again, were just six miles away, would not go to see him. Again, guys, it's not enough to know about Jesus. We need to know him. It's not enough. You know, when the Passover, they took the blood of a lamb and they, they had to watch it for four days to make sure it was perfect. And then they slaughtered the lamb, and then they had the blood of the lamb, but it wasn't enough to even have the lamb or to shed the blood of the lamb. They had to take the blood of the lamb and apply it in the shape of the cross, or the angel of death would not pass over. See, it's not enough to believe in the blood of the lamb. It's not enough to recognize the blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb must be applied to my life and to your life if we are to be saved. Can I get an amen to that? So it's not enough to believe it or to know about it. We need to know him. Again, they knew the truth, but they didn't know the Savior. It's not enough to just bring the lamb home. The lamb needs to be slain and his blood applied to us. Romans 10, 9 says, the word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That is the word which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Let me ask you a question. Do you know about God or do you know him? What have you done with God's son? Who's on the throne of your life? Do you know about God or do you know him? Is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? 
See your best friend be filled with his spirit. Point number one, what have we done with God's son? How have you responded to who Jesus is like the religious leaders of the day with hearts of indifference? Have religion but no relationship? Or like the wise men, look at verse 7. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined for what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. Do we believe anything this guy's saying? No. Absolutely not. Now, what's interesting is, I hate to blow your whole nativity scene, but I'm about to, okay? <laughs> they came looking for a young child, not a baby. See, the wise men don't get, they don't come showing up when, you know, she's swaddling them in the clothes in the cave, you know, you know by the way, more, more likely a cave than a stable. So, sorry to blow your gig. More of, a, more of like a, a, a concrete or, you know, a stone uh, manger than a wooden one. But they didn't find him there. What happened was by then, what had happened is the, he had been born. They were dwelling there. They came looking for him. And here's how we know this. Because he said, well, so uh, can you tell me when you saw that star? How long ago was that? Okay. And how, how long have you been traveling? So how, he's, and he's going to have all the babies two years of age and younger put to death. Why is that? Because it could have been a year ago. could have been nine months ago. So they travel this great distance and they come to find the Savior. And when they, you know, again, they've traveled a great deal and they've been using the star to guide their way. They may not have seen the star the first night when Jesus was born. It may have been taken some time. So when they finally find it, they see it, they pack up their stuff and they begin this long journey. It gives us an idea of how long they traveled. Again, wise men traveled probably for months. And the religious leaders wouldn't take a one-day walk down to, to Bethlehem to meet the Savior. Go and search. Herod, carnal, worldly, vicious, did not want to worship Jesus, but wanted to kill him. They feared what the Lord's presence would do to this way of life. His power, his position, and his authority. I saw this. This is actually tragic. Somebody was running for the school board in Thousand Oaks, put a flyer on my door, and then I... I went back and read something online that she said the biggest, the biggest uh, danger to our school system is evangelical Christians because we teach, you know, that, that there's absolute truth. We believe that Jesus is the only way, and, and basically just went after Christianity. And, and, her, and one of her statements was the best thing that could ever happen to our, our state is if all the Christians would just leave. And she won. Welcome to California. But here's the point. The point is, just like Herod wanted to silence Jesus, a lot of our country wants to silence Christians. Amen? They don't want us to talk about the Lord. They find it offensive. Keep it to yourself. They can scream at us all their false dogma all they want, but they don't want us to talk about the Lord. And you know what? It just gets me fired up. I don't know about you. Amen? Be kind, be loving, be gracious, but be bold. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Be kind, be loving. We shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. Right? Amen? Herod doesn't know God. Often the world thinks about what it would mean to follow Jesus. I'm going to have to give something up. Yeah, you're going to have to give up all that stuff that's destroying your life. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> the Lord loves you enough. Again, it's not a... It's not a 
fence to keep you out of Disneyland. It's a guardrail to keep you from driving off a cliff. That's what the law is. I'll have to give up so much. I know a lot of what I do is wrong, but I, don't, I, 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 but I like it. The Bible says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up the cross, and follow me. Jesus said that. Jesus also said, you're either for me or against me. You're either on team Jesus or you're on team Satan. That's pretty rough to hear. Amen? That's the reality. Whose side are you on? If we choose to follow Jesus, our lives will change radically. But guess what? For the better. Amen? Our lives won't be perfect because we're still sinners. We've been redeemed. We've been forgiven. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. and We're new creations in Christ. But we still battle with the flesh. Satan seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came, we might have life and life more abundant. If God calls us to give something up, it's not because he is, again, a no-fun bummer God trying to keep us from fun or a good time, but because he's a loving Heavenly Father who wants to keep us from harm. As far as Herod is concerned, how foolish is it for a mere man to try to destroy God? But that's what he's going to try to do. Look at verse 9. When they heard, when the king, when they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east before them went before them till they stood over where the young child was. As the wise men set out to find Jesus, the star reappeared to specifically guide them. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. Those who truly seek the Lord will find him every time. Here's another thing I really don't like. I hear pastors use it. It's very, it's very hip and cool in the new millennial thing. Oh, I'm on my journey. I'm just on my journey. I'm finding my truth. I'm just finding my truth in my relationship. There's one truth. His name's Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. And when you get saved, you're not on a journey. It's not, it's not this thing that you have to go through to eventually become a Christian. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, you're born again right now. And you have the promise of eternal life right now. Become an eternal being right now. Can I get an amen to that? You have eternal life already. Amen. And sadly, we, we have this thing where, oh, but I have to do all these things. And I have to investigate. And I have to... No, you don't. Get saved. Can I get an amen to that? Die to yourself. Cry out to the Lord. And again, we don't check our brains at the door. That would be superstition. We believe the truth. Now watch what happens. So they find him. So what do they do? Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced and were exceedingly, with exceedingly great joy. What an incredible contrast in responses to Jesus. The religious leaders are indifferent. Herod's angry and seeks to destroy him. And the wise men are rejoicing with exceedingly great joy. Guys, as Christians, we should be rejoicing with exceedingly great joy. Amen? Even if we just got a flat tire. Amen? Even if the person we voted for didn't win, even if we have trials at work, even if we're going through health issues, God is still on the throne. God is still faithful. He's the King of Kings. And guess what? He loves us. He is with us through our trials. And guess what? In the end, we're going to be with him forever. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more suffering. Guys, we ought to have exceedingly great joy. They're so excited. Herod's uh, religious leaders, whatever. And they, they're excited. Isn't that the way the world is today? Some are angry about Jesus. Some are indifferent toward Jesus. But we as believers should have exceedingly great joy and be rejoicing because we know Jesus. Amen? Amen. And we should not keep it to ourselves. How, would, how, how you respond to Jesus would determine to how he'll respond to you on Judgment Day. Amen? If you're rejoicing here, you're going to rejoice then. 
If you're angry here, you're going to be really angry then. <laughs> Amen? You're going to be brought to the end of yourself. By the way, God's not as impressed with you as you are. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> Verse 11, when they had come into the house, they saw the young child. They came into the what? House. Not the manger. Can I get an amen? Oh man, my manger out front of my house got the wise men there. It's okay, you can leave them. They came later. Can I get an amen to that? It says, when they came into the house, they saw the young child with his mother Mary, and they fell down and worshipped him. Now again, they worshipped him. Has Jesus done anything yet? It's been a baby. A little jubilee camper, right? Amen? It's a baby. But they fall down and worship him, not again because of what he had done, but because of who he is. Amen? We don't come to Jesus and say, well, I'll follow you if you do this for me. No, we come to Jesus because of who he is. He's the creator. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the Almighty God. Can you believe we, we know him? Amen? We don't know. We know him. I know the Lord. I told you when I was a youth pastor, my, I, the first youth group I had had a lot of guys who were gang related and stuff. And they'd be like, my homie's got my back, man, my set. They're hooking me up, man. They're taking care of me. And I'm like, dude, my homie created your homies. How about that? <laughs> Can I get an amen? My homie put the stars in the sky. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Amen? We know him. So next time you're panicked, you're fearful, you're worried, just remember, he has adopted us into his family. He's seated at the right hand of the Father praying for you right now. Guys, we know Jesus. Guys, we've got to be doing backflips every day. Amen? Because we know him. We don't know about him. We know him. Jesus was likely, again, somewhere between six months and 18 months old when this happened. Contrary to custom, the child was mentioned before the mother. You know, everywhere else, the mother and the parents are always mentioned first. In this verse, Jesus is mentioned first. You know why? Because the young child is the Savior of the world. Amen? Joseph's off working, supporting his family, no doubt. And Mary's taking care of the household and the baby Jesus. And they fell down and worshiped him. Wise men bowing before a young child. And I love worship. Jesus and, and Mary both there. They didn't, worship, they didn't worship Mary, did they? Is anybody bowing to Mary right about now? It doesn't say they bowed down and worshiped them. It says they bowed down and worshiped him. Is that an example for all of us? When they'd open their treasures, it says there, let's finish this up. It says there, it says they opened their treasures and they presented him gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Three gifts. While many portrayed three wise men, there probably were more wise men than three. There could have been 20. We don't know, but they brought three gifts. That's why they often think there's three wise men. Now, while these are probably uh, did not fully grasp the significance, each gift had a meaning. Gold is a sign of royalty. He's the mighty king. Frankincense was uh, something that, it's, it was a sweet aroma of worship and praise and offering. He's a ministering priest. And then finally, myrrh was an embalming ointment that was used when somebody died. So they brought him gold because he's a mighty king. They brought him frankincense because he's a ministering priest. And they brought him myrrh because he's going to be the martyred prophet and the savior of the world. Amen? So even the gifts that were brought to him were prophetic. And I love it. We should learn from the wisdom of these wise men. They were not satisfied with looking at a star and admiring it. They did something about it. 
and set out and followed it. It's not good enough to look at Jesus from a distance, but we need to follow him. They preserved they persevered in their search and following after the star. They were not discouraged in search, uh, uh, in the search by clerk. They were discouraged. They, they were not discouraged, even though other people were indifferent about it. They rejoiced at the star. When they arrived at the destination, they were led by the star. When they entered in, they worshiped. They sensed the urgency to worship him now and not to wait till later. By the way, today's the day of salvation. Amen. Don't wait. We probably won't get to verse 20. Let's read verse 12. Then they divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod. They departed from there to their own country another way. It's been said that the highest form of worship is obedience. And the wise men came seeking the Lord with hearts of surrender and worship. And now they're divinely warned by God to go another way and they obey the Lord. Don't you love how the Lord warned them? Don't go back to Herod. Go back home the other way. Guys, you know how the Lord, want, the Lord wants to speak to you. The Lord, by the way, people say the Lord's not speaking. No, you're not listening. Amen? The Lord's always speaking. He speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us when we spend time in, in his presence in prayer and in worship. Can I get an amen to that? He can use other believers to speak into our lives, but it will always agree with the word of God. Amen? And they heard the word. They obeyed it. And what did God do? He spared their lives. Amen? Just as the safety of Jesus was in the hands of the Father, he was indestructible until the appointed time. Finally, let's finish up. I'll go through this quickly. If I go over a few minutes, forgive me. Consider it a Christmas present to me, okay? Oh, I'm, I'm going to stop at verse 18. Let's just go there. Now watch what happens. So we've seen that the religious leaders' indifference, the wise men, hearts of worship. Let's see King Herod. We'll just finish off with this guy. Look what it says in verse 13. So now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph saying, arise, the young child and his mother with the young child, flee to Egypt and stay there. I will bring word for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Now God not only speaks to, by the spirit, speaks to the, to the wise men and tells them to go a different way. Now he's going to warn Joseph to get up and move. And Joseph's going to obey him. And he tells him, that Herod wants to kill him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. Of all the places. Sometimes God sends us to Egypt. Can I get an amen to that? Didn't they leave Egypt when they were slaves a long time ago? And now Jesus is going to spend part, of it was prophesied that he would be known as a Nazarite, that he would spend time in Egypt. Guess what? It's hard to figure all that out when you read the Bible, but then you see what happens, and God knew that, and he, and he takes him to Egypt to save him from being killed by Herod. A person is identified not only by his friends, but also by his enemies. Can I get an amen to that? I can tell a lot about you by who your friends are and a lot about you by who your enemies are. Amen? The world hates us. The enemy hates us. Satan seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, but greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Amen? God the Father both gave direction to Joseph and provided for his journey and his life in Egypt. Uh, how did he provide for him? He just got three very, well, very expensive gifts. Can I get an amen to that? Time to flee. Here's some gold. Sell that. Here's some frankincense. There's some myrrh. all very... And God provided for him where God guides God provide. Evil ways, evil always wants to destroy good, and the command to leave was urgent and came right when the wise men had departed. And Egypt, again, was a natural 
place to flee in a sense because it was nearby. It was outside of Herod's jurisdiction, and its population included more than a million Jews at that time. So when we read it in the Bible, if you go back and look at his history, we can see how God used it. So Herod would seek to destroy the young child. It doesn't speak well of humanity to notice that when God added humanity to his deity and came to earth in the most non-threatening way, the immediate reaction was to kill him. He came in the most innocent way possible, in the most non-threatening way possible as a human baby. Could Jesus have just come to earth at age 30? What's the answer? Could have. Could have showed up looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Could have just showed up and then, I'm here. What are you going to do? He didn't do that. He came as a baby, lived a sinless, perfect life, obeyed his parents, who he created. Can I get an amen to that? Can you imagine? I'm sure that never happened. Can you just imagine like Mary giving what? I created you. Would you just stop it already? Amen. I'm going to go to the cross for you. You need to relax. No, he doesn't do that. Although they find him in the temple at 13 preaching when they had left. And I'm about my father's business. Amen. But the point here is in the most non-threatening way possible, and the world wants to kill him. And you know what? Look at abortion. We're still killing babies. We still haven't learned. Can I get an amen to that? Still as evil and wicked as it gets. When he arose, he took the young child and mother by night and went to Egypt. It's important that we not only get godly counsel, but we act upon it. I love that he got the word and he left. The word of God said it and he didn't go, I'll ponder that for a while. Let me think about that. Let me ask a few friends. Let me, let me, you know, when God tells us to do it, do it. Can I get an amen to that? The Word of God says, stop doing this. Well, I'll think about it. No, you don't. St- st- obey. Can I get an amen to that? It's one thing to read. It's another thing to do it. Amen? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. It's important that we not only listen to godly counsel, but act upon it. The immediate reaction, again, from the world was to destroy him. Let's finish up there. Look at verse 15. And was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord... Lord, through the prophet, saying, out of Egypt I called my son. In the process of God's divine protection, yet another prophecy was fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. Uh, it's, we see this, again, Matthew, his focus is completely and totally on just the uh, fulfillment of prophecy. He wants to remind the Jewish believers, the, Jewish, the, the people, that this is the Messiah you've been waiting for. Let me close with this. Egypt is a type or a picture of the world in the Old Testament. They were delivered out of bondage in the world. Passover was a picture of the cross. That was the last of the plagues that came upon Egypt. It was a plague for Egypt, but it was deliverance for the children of Israel. The blood of the lamb in the shape of a cross. They came from, when they fled, they came to the Red Sea. They were surrounded by the enemy and they began to panic. And then what did God do? He opened it up. Amen. Moses lifted up his hands with worship. The Red Sea was parted. To me, that's a picture of water baptism, right? They stepped out in faith, and God delivered them through the Red Sea. Then we get to the wilderness. We save souls and wasted lives. See, too many Christians are caught between uh, Egypt, you know, from, between Mount Sinai and the Promised Land. 
They've been delivered out of bondage, but they've not entered into all that God had for them. The Jordan, to me, when they stepped into the Jordan, it didn't part till they stepped in. When they stepped in the Jordan, the Jordan River parted, and they entered into God's, the land of promise, the place that God had for them. That's a picture to me of the Holy Spirit baptism, being baptized by the Holy Spirit and entering into all that God has for us. And then finally, they entered into the, to the land of promise, experience, again, experiencing what God has for us. There's still giants in the land, but God's on the throne. Amen? Let me just read these last three verses, and I'll close in prayer. It says, Then Herod, when he saw that was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth to put death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all the districts from two years old and younger, according to the time which had been determined from the wise men. So based on the fact that it could have been up to close to two years since that star appeared, he wiped out all the children. It says, Then he was fulfilled. It was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice is heard in Ramah, fulfilled prophecy from Jeremiah 31, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they were no more. So what have you done with God's son? Like the religious leaders, hearts of indifference, you know what the word says, but you haven't acted upon it. You could be religious and lost. Like the wise men with hearts of surrender and worship who came seeking the Lord, came at all expense, set everything else aside. Nothing else is more important. This is the priority of life. They came a great distance bearing great gifts because they recognized that Jesus is more important than anything this world had to offer. And then finally, like King Herod, with a heart of anger and bitterness and cruelty, refusing to give up the rightful throne to the rightful king. So when it comes to Jesus, what have you done with God's son? Where are you at with the Lord? Who is it that's on the throne of your life? Have you surrendered your life fully to him? Let today be the day of salvation. Amen. He is the king of kings. He's on the throne and we should be people who are rejoicing. Amen. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you, Lord. You are indeed a great and an awesome God. Thank you for everyone's patience today on a cold morning. But what a joyous picture we see this morning and who you are and why you came and how you love us so much. That you left heaven and came to earth and lived a sinless holy life and went to the cross of Calvary that we might be redeemed and forgiven. If you're here today and you've never given your life to the Lord, the Bible says today's the day of salvation. We'd be We'd be uh, doing the wrong thing if we didn't give you an opportunity to do that today. So you got to go beyond indifference. Maybe you've known about God, but you don't know him. May you come to know him today. Maybe you're on the throne of your life and you recognize, I need to put the Lord on the throne of my life. It's time for me to surrender my life to him, to have the promise of eternal life, to be born again. The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven not asking you to join a church. We don't want anything from you. The Lord just wants to give you eternal life. He loves you so much, you'd rather die than live without you. So if, you want to, if you're ready to surrender your life to him, if you want to make him the king and king, king of kings in your life, if you want to surrender the throne of your life to him, make him not just your savior, but your Lord, just raise your hand right where you are and I'll pray with you, anybody at all. Don't leave here without him. Today be the day of salvation. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. We thank you that you're our king, you're our savior, you're our dad. We're so blessed to be your children. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray and all God's people said.